ladies, gentlemen, and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and in this episode, I'm going solo. Yes, I already miss our other panelists as well, but we've got a pretty special episode here for you. For those of you who are longtime listeners, you may remember that way back in episode 23 of Discovery Debrief, released in the summer of 2018, we dedicated an episode to a rundown and quasi-review of Star Trek and video games, going back to the days of the original Nintendo Entertainment System. In that episode, we also reviewed what was then the newest entry in Star Trek gaming, 2017's Bridge Crew, published by Ubisoft. First released primarily as a VR game, it was an incredible experience that actually transformed VR into a social experience all aboard the bridge of an authentically recreated Federation starship. Wouldn't you know it, though? Outside of regular content updates for Star Trek Online, a game that is now over 13 years old, my god, That was the final, dedicated Star Trek video game released on PCs and consoles. It was difficult to imagine that as gamers and Star Trek fans, that we'd be in for yet another drought of game releases. Thankfully though, that drought is about to end. The day after this episode is released, a new video game studio called Dramatic Labs will unleash its own project onto consoles and PCs everywhere, with Star Trek Resurgence. Staffed by several veterans of narrative game studio Telltale Games, known for such works as The Walking Dead, A Wolf Among Us, and Back to the Future the Game, which were all stellar, this studio is taking a crack at a single-player narrative adventure very much in the vein of those classic Telltale releases. If you're listening to this, I likely don't need to explain why the style of a single-player narrative adventure game and the Star Trek franchise are a match made in heaven. You could argue that Trek may have been involved in that narrative style long before Telltale and Dramatic Labs came into existence with games like The Next Generation of Final Unity, Klingon, and Borg, but be that as it may, we haven't seen a modern studio unleash that style's full potential on the Star Trek universe before. That is, until now. Thanks to the kind consideration of the developer, who provided a code to play the game prior to its wide release for reviewing purposes, please enjoy this review of Star Trek's return to the video game medium with this full debriefing for Star Trek Resurgence, developed and published by Dramatic Labs in association with Epic Games. Since the studio is something of a startup, that means that you have a major IP license title effectively handled by a development team that has likely not scaled to full strength yet. In some ways, you could argue that shows, but in others, and I would argue in the ways that count, it comes to the fore with an engaging narrative featuring both new and a couple of familiar characters in a world that everyone listening to this podcast clearly loves. Thankfully, I'm very happy to say that the same can clearly be said of the developers themselves. While Dramatic Labs did provide a code for review, there were no preconditions on what the content of the review would contain. These are my genuine impressions of the game, its story, its design philosophy, and it wouldn't be Discovery Debrief without some pedantic continuity time. Hope you enjoy it.
Captain's log, stardate 57931.4. The crew is restless. After spending too many months piecing our ship back together, we're finally about to venture out on a new mission. And the crew isn't letting this unprecedented ion storm slow them down. They're ready for something different. I know I am. Perhaps more than any of them. Fortunately, nothing ever stays the same. It's entropy. The nature of the universe. Change is inevitable. And while entropy says order gives way to chaos, in this case, change is good. The year is 2380, stardate 57931.4 specifically. It's been some time since the Battle of the Basin Rift, which critically damaged the USS Enterprise E, caused the apparent death of Lieutenant Commander Data, and ended the short but tumultuous reign of Shinzong as Praetor of the Romulan Star Empire. William Riker has been promoted to Captain of the USS Titan, and, as far as we know, Ambassador Spock continues his work toward reunification of the Vulcan and Romulan peoples. The USS Cerritos is also out there, and according to the Stardate, Ensign Mariner very recently expressed suspicion about Ensign Boimler's new girlfriend. <laughs> it has also been six months since a devastating accident from an unsanctioned engine experiment very nearly destroyed the USS Resolute a Centaur-class vessel constructed initially as an instrument of battle during the Dominion War, but which has now been repurposed as an exploratory science vessel on the edges of Federation space. The accident claimed the lives of several crew members, including the Resolute's well-liked and ambitious executive officer, Commander Luke Sutherland. The accident has tarnished the reputation of Captain Zachary Solano, and the crew still freshly remembers the events that killed their shipmates, and nearly destroyed their ship. Star Trek Resurgence picks up here. The Resolute has been repaired and is ready to enter into a new diplomatic mission in a volatile region of space, aiming to manage a diplomatic dispute between two races and cultures seemingly on the brink of war. The Elidians, a technologically advanced non-member of the Federation, has often used a race called the Hotari, less advanced technologically and less well-connected diplomatically, as workers on and around their worlds. When an issue brings the two races into conflict, and the Hotari prove to be far more dangerous than the Illidians ever expected, the Resolute is dispatched to rendezvous with an experienced Federation diplomat in an effort to find a peaceful resolution. But in order to achieve this goal, the Resolute needs to be back at full strength. Uh, Commander? I'm not usually such a nervous wreck, by the way. I actually did well at the Academy. Oh yeah? Maybe you've heard of the Torvalon test? Sounds familiar. It's a tactical simulator that makes the Kobayashi Maru look like a picnic on Pintaris V. Anyway, I finished in the top 20. Not just in my class, I, I mean all time, in the history of the Academy. Really? That's quite impressive. Thank you. Please place your hand here. Hold it there for a few seconds. Welcome, Commander Rydek. Wait, you're Jara Rydek? You absolutely crushed the Torvalon test. You, you finished in what, like the top three? 
That would be me. <laughs> now I'm really... It, it's an honor to meet you, Commander. This is where you meet the first of the game's two focus characters, Commander Jara Rydek, played by Kritzia Bajos. She has recently been appointed the ship's new first officer, but because Captain Solano did not promote a new exec from within, several crew members view her with skepticism and even hostility. She has a history with Captain Solano, but will still have to prove herself worthy of the leadership position she's been given among a crew who is still feeling the loss of their previous XO. All hands on deck. Oh, what's that? All hands on deck. That's what Chovok said. You know what that means? It means this ship isn't ready to go out and the brass know it. So they're throwing every warm body at it. And they're going to leave on schedule. It all comes down to us, Nilly. We're the ones who will get it ready. I know what we can do. But this isn't just any old refit or any old relaunch. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Excuse me. At this point, you also meet Petty Officer Carter Diaz, played by voice actor extraordinaire Josh Keaton, a young enlisted crewman well-liked by his shipmates and with some ambitions of his own, but who's also unsure of himself in spite of his brilliance and thinking on his feet. While these are the two characters the player will spend the most time with, the rest of the characters you meet, both aboard the Resolute and elsewhere, are very well written with their own thoughts, feelings, motivations, and quirks. Captain Solano, played by Jim Meskimen, is particularly touchy about how his reputation has taken a hit after the accident that nearly destroyed his ship, and the game takes some surprising turns in depicting the relationship he has with Commander Rydek and the rest of the crew. The ship's chief medical officer, Dr. Iram Duval, played by Deborah Wilson, has consequently had her faith in the captain shaken to the core, and may encourage the XO to follow her own instincts as opposed to the captain's orders. The science officer, Commander Ben Westbrook, played by Keith Silverstein, was very close with fallen XO Commander Sutherland. He does not take kindly to Commander Rydek from their very first meeting, because he just doesn't believe that Sutherland's shoes can be filled by anyone, particularly someone who hasn't set foot aboard the Resolute before. Chief Engineer Lieutenant Commander Chovak, played by J.P. Karliak, is a pure Vulcan in the truest sense of the word, having no tolerance for anyone who has a cavalier attitude, but he's also someone who's not inhospitable to the humans and other people he works with. Fellow Petty Officer Nellie Edselar, played by Stephanie Shea, is Diaz's closest confidant and colleague, and their friendship is also put to the test very early on, with a choice that has a surprising level of consequence for the remainder of the experience. A wrong choice may not cripple the friendship, but it does have visible stakes in other ways which can remind you of the reality of consequences that your choices can have. I feel like I'm missing some things, but I've probably already given you far too many details. This review is going to do its best to remain as spoiler-free as possible, so let's get into the first section of the review. Design Assessing the visual design of Star Trek Resurgence falls into a couple of different buckets here by necessity. There is the work that has gone into the creation of the game's aesthetic, which is further informed by the designs it has taken, and by that same token declined to take, from the franchise it is a part of. In that first respect, 
Resurgence provides us with a deeper look at a class of starship only glimpsed in the periphery of episodes of Deep Space Nine, and more recently in a few episodes of Prodigy. It has shown us an entirely new set of worlds between the home planets for both the Illidians and the Hotari, as well as a new interpretation of a planet we haven't seen in the Trek franchise for the better part of 40 years. That first respect also includes designs that have been innovated by other parts of the franchise. Uniforms from First Contact in Deep Space Nine, props that appear largely modeled after appearances in Voyager, Elkar's computers that look most descended from the likes of Nemesis, and a whole host of other parts the game is attempting to carry over from stories you've seen before. That first respect also includes the look of the turbulent sectors of space, alien structures that are hundreds of thousands of years old, new and returning sound effects, and a whole lot more, all showing a design team attempting to make this feel like a truly unique adventure, but with all of the legitimacy fans expect from the name Star Trek. The second respect is less artistic and more technological. Graphical fidelity, technical performance, and overall clarity that can help inform the immersion a player has in the experience, and which on a limited basis can determine the pace at which a player experiences the plot, playing out with all the character interplay mixed in. In the first respect, Star Trek Resurgence feels like an authentic Trek adventure, with just as much weight and narrative punch as any good episode of a series punctuated with an overall design philosophy that feels informed by the tenets of the franchise in all the right places. Where those tenets are themselves insufficient to create necessary parts of design to tell the game's story, the team at Dramatic Labs more than accounts for the necessity of replicating the familiar and creating things we haven't seen before. The second respect is where the game loses a bit of luster. While in this instance I'd argue the second respect is less important than the first, perhaps owing to the scale of the experience and the newness of the developer, Resurgence is not a game that appears to be pushing any technological boundaries of its primary platforms. While the game is listed as enhanced specifically for current-gen Xbox consoles, on the PlayStation side it actually runs natively as an app for the PlayStation 4 and is playable on the PS5 through that console's backward compatibility feature. The result is that the game overall feels more tailored for older hardware than it does to take advantage of the graphical power of current machines. In one respect, that automatically makes the game more accessible to more players, since not every potential player is in possession of a top-of-the-line PC or a current-gen Xbox or PlayStation. On the other hand, the digital seams are more visible than they otherwise might be, with textures coming in blurrier than you may expect, and models looking a bit more simplistic than they do in other games built specifically for current-gen hardware. I played the game on the two current Xbox machines. Since both the Series X and Series S are equipped with more modern solid-state storage, loading times are barely a consideration, but the Series S did seem to hitch frames more often than the Series X, which I was a bit surprised by considering the overall graphical look of the game. Still, in spite of that, the design does an effective job of providing the player with worlds and other environments that feel clean and authentic to the story the game aims to tell. The emotion on the faces of all the characters is very visible and easy to translate, which is arguably the most important part of the way we observe all the people at the heart of this story. Environments are well thought out and clear in serving their narrative purpose, and it's very clear that the design at large is specifically tailored to meet the needs of the story the game is aiming to tell. 
And for a narrative adventure game, that is clearly the most important part. This brings us to our next section. Story and Gameplay The reason that story and gameplay are being discussed in the same review section will be obvious to anyone who has played a narrative adventure game in the past, or for those of you who have already checked out Star Trek Resurgence. In this experience, you can't have one without the other. In terms of the story, Resurgence feels like a slightly higher stakes version of a great episode of something like Deep Space Nine or Strange New Worlds. The crew of the Resolute finds themselves in a situation that could potentially have implications for the entire Federation, but it is very much up to them, and them alone, to find a viable solution to all the problems and competing priorities that become clear over the course of the story. As a longtime Star Trek fan, one of the things I found most delightfully surprising about this story was what it descends from. The main premise of the game was actually established by, get this, a season one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. In the spirit of keeping things as spoiler-free as possible, I won't tell you which one, because chances are, if you want to know, then that information is likely available elsewhere on the internet by the time you hear this. But it is definitely an inspired choice, and for those who clench up in anxiety hearing about TNG Season 1, I can assure you, that plot point doesn't have anything to do with narrative execution. The game uses that history very well. The thing that is most satisfying about how the game chooses to tell its Star Trek story is by giving us a good cross-section of scenarios and interactions between the upper and lower decks, so to speak. By focusing on Commander Rydek for that first half, you become very effectively acquainted with the burdens of certain command decisions and the sometimes surprising types of pressures visited upon the first officer. Navigating your relationship with the captain, the rest of the crew, visiting dignitaries, diplomats, and ultimately enemies will likely require certain relationships to be sacrificed based on how the player assesses the most important priorities in a given moment. You are never going to be able to please everyone while you make your decisions. Some players might be totally fine with that, but for others who may be averse to conflict, you may find yourself agonizing over which way to make a decision. Most of those same tenets are also true in the instances where you are in control of Petty Officer Diaz, but the tenor of the interactions changes owing to his different level of status in the chain of command. By going, effectively, from the top of the proverbial totem pole to the bottom, Diaz is a character who has a little more to prove when it comes to his interaction with the senior officers. The difference between the statuses of both characters also helps to illustrate some of the different ways that characters conduct themselves between interactions with Rydek and Diaz, which in a few instances can provide potentially actionable intelligence when interacting with other members of the crew. The dynamic aboard the Resolute is one element of this experience that is very clearly defined, and the way you play is directly impacted by the character interactions and who you may be playing as in a particular moment. It's a fun dynamic to watch unfold. In terms of the story itself, the plot is appropriately layered to serve the character interactions. Since the primary event driving the plot, at least in the early going, revolves around a tense diplomatic situation that could bubble up into war, 
Those are the stakes that are likely to most inform the player's interactions with people who are not part of the ship's crew. Still, the tense situation between the Illidians and the Hotari is also likely to inform some of the ways that the characters, particularly Commander Rydek, approach situations with their fellow officers. Jara Rydek. <laughs> Last time I saw you, it was graduation from the Academy. You'd already secured one of the most prestigious assignments possible. And you were burning with enough ambition to fuel seven trips around the Necrid Expanse. It's good to see you again, Captain. I could not be happier to have you on the Resolute. My only regret is that we couldn't provide you with a warmer welcome. The arrival of a first officer to her new ship deserves a bit of fanfare. But, unfortunately, we've had our hands full with the refit. I have to admit, I was expecting something bigger. At least a marching band, or a parade. <laughs> we'll see if we can't make up for it somehow. The thing I found most surprising as a Star Trek fan in this respect was the dichotomous perspectives of Captain Solano. Unlike a lot of captains the franchise spends time with, save for the possible exception of Gabriel Lorca, albeit him being a guy who was a much darker and more sinister operator than Captain Solano seems capable of being, Solano is a guy who feels a strong sense of duty, but with very self-interested limits. He's fine fulfilling the mandates of regulations and precedent, so long as those actions don't run up against the clear work he's attempting to do in repairing his reputation in the aftermath of the accident that nearly destroyed the ship. This creates some very clear moments for the player to choose between loyalty to the captain and loyalty to something else. In one instance, the captain could ask Commander Rydek to look the other way when the outcome dictated by protocol isn't something he wants to see. In others, the player may be required to contradict direct orders. All of these choices have consequences for the relationship with the captain, which could then spread to other parts of the ship, for good or for ill. That being said, I have to mention that the story ends up ultimately offering some very eye-opening perspectives and color on what could motivate some of the relationships in the game to take the turns that they do, so it will definitely pay for players to pay close attention to the behaviors and statements of everyone that the player characters come into contact with. The game also takes pains to depict some of the Hotari and Elidian characters with a rather surprising level of depth, particularly when it comes to Tylus, played by Amanda Miller, who becomes a confidant of Rydek, and Major Arminta, also played by Jim Meskimen, who becomes a confidant of Diaz. You go through things with these people, and the story gives a lot of service to the journey, especially when it comes to incorporating your choices into your relationships with them. In the case of Petty Officer Diaz, this is where the clearest alternative parts of gameplay can most easily come into the fold. In one instance, Diaz may be required to perform a repair on the Resolute Systems that can come in the form of a hot zone minigame or a quick time event. In others, Diaz or Rydek may be called upon to perform scans with their tricorders or to defend an ally with their phasers. The shooting portions are more traditional cover-based shooting instances, while the scan portions feel more exploratory. However, sometimes the minigames can get in the way of the story in one way or another. For instance, one part of the game requires Diaz to lock transporters on people in a tense, time-limited situation. 
However, since this is the first time the player has been asked to complete a minigame involving transporter controls, the tension is severely undercut by instances where the player has to read relatively long instructions to learn how to operate the systems effectively and to actually win the minigame. This is actually done in several phases of one scene. So after Diaz accomplishes filtering out the signal, you're then reminded that you have to work fast to save people. While you're amped up ready to beam those people aboard, you're then confronted by another four-paragraph text tutorial about how to actually secure a transporter lock. After that, you're told again to hurry, work fast, before yet another big wall of text slows down the pacing, finally ending in a transport that didn't end up feeling nearly as tense as the characters clearly felt. Now, overall, this is a rather minor issue in the full scheme of things, but it is one of the few instances where it felt like the pace of the game was slowed down when it didn't need to be. In the end, though, it also helps to illustrate that the game does have you actually doing more than you might expect, given the style of title that Resurgence is. Its phaser-based combat scenes are actually very fast-paced and tense, depending on moments in the story, while the scanning elements with the tricorder had moments of frustration just because it seemed like the objects able to be scanned were a little too limited in places, the scenes still add to the diversity of experiences and are a positive addition to the overall actions you can perform as a player. Now though, it wouldn't be Discovery Debrief without an exercise in pedantry, and that's exactly what this next time is all about. Now, on the off chance that we've picked up some new listeners who have never before listened to Discovery Debrief, pedantic continuity time constitutes observations that are pedantic in the truest sense of the word. These observations are excessively concerned with minor details and rules. That being said, here they are. The uniforms are not quite right, but this isn't something I hold against the game very much, because it seems like virtually every Star Trek video game that has featured the first contact-style uniform has done the exact same thing with them. The departmental colors are all way brighter than they ever appeared on screen. In the case of the Sciences Division, the color is just wrong. Games from Resurgence all the way down through 1999's Hidden Evil and early 2000s games like Bridge Commander and Elite Force 2 have all opted to shade the Sciences Division in a primary blue as opposed to the darker, more tealish color the actual screen-worn uniforms used, which leads me to believe that there must be some technical or design reason that game developers have all opted to make this change for now well over 20 years. The uniforms in Resurgence also add additional piping detail to the midsection of the shirts, which is a generally forgivable change, and the gray shoulder pads in this game are a bit darker than they've generally been in most of those uniforms' appearances. Like I said, pedantic. The devs for this title also changed some of the props used by Starfleet characters to conform with the majority of their franchise appearances, as opposed to what was actually in use during this time based on Star Trek Nemesis. The tricorder in Nemesis, i.e. one year before the Resurgence story takes place, 
looks more like a device that was known in the early 2000s as a Palm Pilot, with a larger screen and buttons reserved for the periphery of the device. On screen, it only ever appeared in Nemesis, but it was actually faithfully recreated in Elite Force 2, released on PC in 2003. It was a cool design, and I'm kind of sorry to see its lack of inclusion here. Also not jiving with the 2379 period as established in Nemesis is the design of the Type 2 hand phaser. Affectionately referred to as the Dolphin Phaser for its more curved snout design, it was actually recently seen wielded by Worf in later episodes of Picard Season 3 as well, but as with the Tricorder, the devs decided to go with a more traditional appearance for the hand phaser as seen in later episodes of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, which is more broadly similar to the design of the weapons as seen in The Next Generation. Maybe these choices were made to make the props more recognizable, or maybe the older designs served a better artistic or technical function with the game the devs built. Either way, again, these are minor observations and pedantic as all hell, but we're a Star Trek podcast. You have to be pedantic about this stuff because nobody else cares about it but us. Still, pedantic continuity time is also for noting fun positives. The Resolute's computer voice should sound exceedingly familiar to current Trek fans, since it's voiced by Julianne Grossman, who has been playing the computer on Discovery since Season 1. And I don't feel too bad mentioning this since it's been promoted in publicity materials, but the game further legitimizes itself as a Star Trek adventure by including legendary legacy characters, including Ambassador Spock and Captain Riker. At this point, we don't have a great canonical grasp of what Spock was up to in the lead-up and aftermath of Nemesis, a missed opportunity considering that film's setting, so the idea that he is there when the Federation needs him is an enticing one. It's also rather shocking to listen to the performance of actor Piot Michael, who faithfully recreates the cadence and even quirks of the late great Leonard Nimoy's voice when bringing Spock to life in this effort. He does a phenomenal job, and the acumen of the performance only accelerates the more time you spend with Spock in the game. It's not every day that a captain gets to welcome a Starfleet legend aboard. Hmm. You flatter me, Captain Solano. But legend implies the past tense, whereas I am very much focused on our present circumstances. I didn't mean to suggest you were stuck in the past. Your experience comes from the past, but our present situation calls for it. True enough. We were hoping you could fill us in on the details. We got the basics from Starfleet. Two formerly peaceful neighbors are now on the brink of war. Indeed, and the tension between them grows fiercer by the hour. And what can I say? Jonathan Frakes is Jonathan Frakes. He nails it once again, and it's thrilling for this fan to see Riker's involvement in the story. Definitely top marks to the writers and design team at Dramatic Labs for adding these characters into the mix and giving the game that much more authenticity to the Star Trek universe. Overall. Star Trek Resurgence represents a deft combination of narrative storytelling and player action, all set within an authentic representation of the fabled franchise. 
with fascinating character interplay and some great callbacks and cameos and unexpected connections with the franchise's lineage, all contained within a reverently written story, Star Trek Resurgence is absolutely recommended. While there are some instances where it looks like the game has a lack of aesthetic and performance polish, those elements are generally mitigated by the other primary elements of the experience here. The narrative adventure game and the Star Trek franchise combined have always had serious potential for a fun and rewarding gaming experience, and that potential has certainly been met in Star Trek Resurgence, due in no small part to the reverence its creators have absolutely demonstrated in the creation of this game. Here's hoping that this adventure aboard the USS Resolute proves to be just the beginning for such a powerful combination. The game is available as of May 23rd on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Epic Games stores for a suggested price of $39.99, and we can confidently say it is a highly recommended experience. Score, 8 out of 10. That's going to do it for episode number 95 of Discovery Debrief. Once again, I want to express my heartfelt thanks to Dramatic Labs for their consideration in providing Debrief with a code to review the game prior to its release. It's very much appreciated, and we're very pleased to be able to celebrate the return of Star Trek to video games. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute and let us know if you wrote one, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSCDebrief, and feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Mm-hmm.